Hi, my name is Dr. Sarah Adams. I am a board-certified pediatrician, but I'm not your pediatrician. Feel free to use my podcast as helpful information, but in no way do I intend my podcast to replace the advice of your physician. Your physician knows you and is in the best position to provide medical advice. Hello, and welcome to Growing Up with Dr. Sarah. Today, I'd like to introduce my guest. Her name is Carly Trillo. And let me tell you a little bit about her and why I've decided to have her as one of our guests. So I'm super excited. So Carly, welcome. I'm going to tell people a little bit more about yourself. And um, so you got your undergraduate degree and your master's in social work from Youngstown State University. And you were the top of your class, which is so impressive. And over the course of your career, you worked in an array of inpatient treatment centers and residential homes, both with mental health and also addiction. And you worked as an adjunct professor for a local social work college program before opening your own practice here in Cleveland called Brighter Days Recovery Counseling. So thank you so much for joining me today. Tell me a little bit about, a little bit more about yourself and just kind of your journey getting to your own practice here in Cleveland. I would love to. And thank you so much for having me. I am a big fan and am really excited to chat today. So, um, yeah, I guess I can start with talking a little bit more about my specialty, and then I think it'll be beautiful to talk about uh, just kind of the life journey that brought me to being a yeah. private practice clinician. So I grew up in the Pittsburgh area and eventually moved to Youngstown, where I completed my schoolwork, as you mentioned. Um, and so now I work in downtown Cleveland in the warehouse district. I'm really excited about that. And now I specialize in serving anxious people pleasers where I help them learn to find their voice and use it without shame. So I'm really excited to talk more about that today. Yeah, I am too, because it's something that I find near and dear to my own heart. I would consider myself a, an anxious person people pleaser for sure. So I was really looking forward to this. And I would not have guessed that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's start with just what exactly, how would you describe a people pleaser? So I get that question all of the time. And so I'm going to go through a brief list and then maybe expand on that list from there, because I find that we're talking about people pleasing, but I use people pleaser as a layman's term for a more clinical presentation of okay. a fond response. Yeah. So people can be people pleasers, but if it's more in an extreme pattern or more from a place of kind of survival, it could border on a fond trauma response essentially. So people pleasers have some of these symptoms. Okay. And so they may have trouble saying no, they lack boundaries, they can avoid conflict. Oftentimes they even describe themselves as feeling like a chameleon. So they can read a room, read a mood, read a facial expression and adjust based on what they're reading as necessary. Yeah. In that situation. Um, they also experience a lot of discomfort if people aren't content. So if they notice people are upset, sad, mad, it could affect their entire day instead of just being able to accept that emotion and moving forward. Uh, they tend to experience a lot of guilt and anxiety in uh, a sense of just generally not feeling like they're enough. There's a lot of over overcompensation in doing for others yeah. or 
pleasing them, appeasing them in order to kind of overcompensate for that feeling of not enoughness. I I can totally relate because I think, I mean, when you listen to that list too, you certainly see some good things in there too, which then I feel like for people pleasers and correct me if I'm wrong, um, because I'm certainly not a specialist in that in any way, shape or form, but it's like, you feel like you're doing it right. But in actuality, you're not really helping yourself or the people that are around you in some cases. Would you agree? Oh, I, I absolutely agree. And it's a question that I often get from clients is, well, is this a trauma response or is this just my personality? Right. And so what I tend to, how we kind of parse that through, because it's not an inherently bad thing to be a people pleaser. I think there's a lot of beauty in that and a lot of inherent good. But when it starts to take away from the quality of your life or you're coming into that from a place of feeling like you have to as a instead of feeling like you just want to be doing these things, that's kind of where we get into this is something that might need healing. Yeah, something. I mean, I hate to, I, in my brain when you were saying that I was thinking, is it something dysfunctional? But I love I love the way that you said it. It's like is something that we need healing. So tell me more about what that what the fawn response is, because I, I've heard it before, but I've never really understood it. So the fawn response is super under discussed, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but is it is one of the four trauma responses. So we tend to hear more often about the fight or flight when we're teaching about um, trauma and how it affects our body and our brain. And what's less talked about is the freeze and fawn. And we're finally getting freeze out there, which is more of a dissociative shutting down. It's very internal. Mm -hmm. Um, And the fawn is learning to please and appease others in order to avoid emotional or physical threats, whether those are real or perceived. Mm-hmm. And so this usually comes from a place of needing to protect ourselves so much when we're young. And when we leave that, eventually leave that place, these things start to cause chaos in our life. And so they start to be less helpful and more harmful, essentially. Yeah. That might be where somebody would, you know, like the first couple things that you mentioned, as far as some symptoms that we see with people pleasing is, you know, not being able to say no or, and, and the boundaries. And I, I would see how that could be a font, like part of that fawn response. Oh, absolutely. Um, the fawn response really is, it's almost like a total abandonment of self. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is more than just people pleasing, but, uh, it is, a true neglect and abandonment. So now let's kind of redirect this towards yeah. parents because, you know, a lot of times, you know, I, it's so funny. I mean, even my own self, when I've in the past have had therapy and then we go back to like our childhood and, and all this stuff. And I even think about like myself as a parent and now I'm a grandparent and it's like always trying to navigate the right way And I can see how even as a parent, we could be a people pleaser too, like in our parenting styles, which is kind of funny. So I'll, I'll, I'll just tie in a story. It's like John always says, like, I was the, he said he was the disciplinarian and I was the friend. And I'm like, no, no, I disciplined. I definitely disciplined, you know, but at the same time, it's like, you know, it makes you wonder how that does kind of enter in with the way that we parent, you know, and there's so many different, you know, we talk about helicopter or whatever it is, but what, 
what can we do as parents or how would you guide parents to help their child not become a people pleaser, so to speak. Like we, I definitely, you know, and in some of this, we might talk too about how to help those that are already people pleasers, but how do we not get to that point, but still like in a way, make them responsible, you know, teach them what we can to, to grow up and still be there for others. That that's a loaded question. (laughs) Let's break it down. So do you, do you ever, do you sometimes meet with parents who like want to kind of break that mold? No, absolutely. I find that, um, for parents who are people pleasers, there, the risk is less about the relationship with your child or your child turning out poorly or not being able to navigate the world effectively. Um, and more about the limit when you're people pleasing, I find that there's more of a block of being able to truly connect with people, including your closest loved ones. It could be your children, your partner, your friends. There's, there's just kind of a block there because you're not able to show up authentically. And so if you're a people pleasing parent, who's worried about the outcome of your child, I think the best thing you can do for yourself is heal, but also make sure that this child feels confident in showing up confident in showing up for themselves. Yeah. Um, and I have some general thoughts on like do's, I don't want to say do's and don'ts essentially, but things of, if you're worried about doing a good job of, of as a parent. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of my clients and the, per, the people that I specialize in working with, if they're parents, a lot of ways that people pleasing will show up in the relationship with their child is by feeling like they're not doing enough, always worrying if they're doing the right thing or the wrong thing. Um, And there's just a general sense of guilt and anxiety around kind of like, do I love my child enough? Does my child know I love them? Am I important to them? There's a level of wanting to make sure that there aren't mistakes happening there. I can see that. I really can, because I'll tell you, it's, I mean, and I love how you said that it can affect many areas of, of our relationships, even with our own, our own partner for sure. And it's, it's, it's difficult to navigate that. So what's one of the, you were talking a little bit about do's and don'ts, like let's, let's go there as far as what are some things that you recommend for people who are people pleasers? Uh, for people pleasers, I, I think immediately I go to, if you're identifying with anything that we're talking about here, yeah. there's probably a sign of there's some stuff there to heal and to work on and to move through. Um, but in terms of, I don't know, do you want to hear more about general or do you want to hear more parenting specific of re- suggestions for people pleasers? Because I have some of both, but I want to. Yeah. And those are answer. kind of, I imagine that's a, those are two, not different things, but um, I would say let's, let's focus on the parents. Okay. And as far as like first steps is, I would imagine is identifying that your parenting style is in people pleasing or that you're already kind of creating a little people pleasing person. <laughs> say that five times fast. Yes. There's a lot of, uh, oh gosh, I can't even remember what, what that's called. It's been so long since I've been in, in, in an English class. But, yeah. um, so 
if, if you're worried about creating a people pleaser in the future, yeah, the signs would be there. You're not going to inherently, just because you're being attentive or warm or like, you know, gentle parenting, you're not going to create a people pleaser just because you're creating a gentle, emotionally aware child. Yeah. But it's typically from what comes from a place of wanting your kind of having your child start to act in certain ways for either your benefit, their benefit, other people's benefit. So your discomfort may block your ability from allowing your child to just exist and be. So that's usually like that tough family member or friend that might criticize or have a comment. And so we start to adapt and maybe have them, oh, wear something else or just don't mention that around grandma. And all of these things of these kind of roles that we start to like sneak around people instead of just existing and handling conflict as it comes up. Okay. Yeah. I see that. I see that. And it's, that's a, that's a hard space to navigate through. Mm-hmm. So what's the next step? So first is just kind of like being aware that, and then, and not trying to create situations where you're walking on eggshells is what I hear you saying. Yes. So in terms of steps, I think, yeah, step one is, would you identify this as a problem in your life? Mm-hmm. Step two, I think one of the biggest signs is, is identifying where this shows up most and a way that you can be doing that is through you know, emotions are kind of signals for us that something is going wrong. So as a parent, as you're going through your day, if there is a moment of anxiety or guilt, I would write that down and and reflect on that and see why that emotion's coming up Mm -hmm. and start to explore if that is an actual concern and how we want to go about that intentionally, not in this old pattern of kind of sneaking around and making sure everybody's happy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Where do you think as far as parents go, what what stage in life can they start to identify and start working on being a parent, preventing a parent from parenting as a people pleaser? <laughs> Where it's really, this is, I know this is kind of, it, I, I'm learning more about it. So I really appreciate your wisdom in here. Remember, you're the expert on this. So if I'm not saying it right, please correct me. But at what point do you think, like we were talking about when it becomes dysfunctional, like at what point do you think, okay, it's, it's really time to heal. Like, what are some of those signs that you said you'll, you'll notice? So I think first, there is never a time that's too early or too late to start to identify these things. And so even if, you know, at the end of end of this, you're like, oh man, I have been doing this for years. That's fine. Healing can exist. Um, but my, my gut reaction was to say as soon as conception, because a lot of times having a child or having your second child, whatever that milestone is, brings up a lot of opportunities for setting boundaries and identifying areas of improvement you can have in your relationships, whether that's with future grandparents, whether that's with, you know, partner. It's a lot of, well, maybe I couldn't advocate for myself, but I can have enough room and reason to advocate for my child. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just hearing you say that gives me chills. And, you know, as a, as a, as a mom, as a pediatrician, and now as a grandma, I'm, I'm definitely navigating all of that right now. And uh, so I really appreciate you coming here today. So I think that especially too, you know, parents, bring in kind of their own experiences of how they were parent 
parents, you know, how they were parented, you know, and parenting has changed a lot, a lot since I've even, you know, my kids were home and I think all for the good. I'm, I'm definitely not one of those people that will use, this is how we did it. So this is how, you know, you should do it. Um, when it comes to, I mean, I'm not talking about safety things, you know, but mostly just in regards to like the language that you use to help, help your kids. But how do, when let's, when we come from a different, you know, like even my husband and I, you know, was they, we were raised, we were raised differently. You know, I kind of feel like my parents were, were ahead of the game and, um, and were, uh, we were a little bit more open and, you know, open-minded and know and had boundaries and things like that. And then in some ways had no boundaries, which could have been good or bad, <laughs> um, where my husband, grew up in, in a little bit stricter environment. Again, not saying that that's bad, but we had to really navigate together how we were going to parent our own kids. So how do you help parents who come from two different directions really find a common ground? Because, you know, I did a, one of the podcasts was about, you know, making sure that you're on the same level, the good cop, bad cop thing, you know, so it's so important. And I definitely, we made our mistakes, there's no doubt, but um, I would imagine that that kind of comes as, as another way the do's or don'ts in regards to people pleasing. So I guess my question is, because I can go on and on about this, is if how do you help parents who have different parenting styles or who experience different parenting styles now kind of come together and and work to now raise this child that is instinctually theirs, their responsibility now? That is a great question. It really is a good question. And so one thing that one, I, I think there's so many great parenting styles and different reasons to do different things. So I think one, making sure that whatever decision that you're making is as a parent is, you know, as parents mutually in a, in a, a pair there is knowing, being able to back up and, and support why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. And a lot of times it comes, people will parent from a place of fear and from a place of wanting their best for their child. I think mutual, like mutually, even if there's a disagreement, both people probably think there's genuinely, they're, they're doing the right thing for the best outcome. Right. And so I don't, I know if you've ever heard this, but uh, psychologically speaking, the function of control is safety. And so when I say control, or I talk about this a little bit, it's not in a derogatory way. It's not from a place of thinking that this parent is just wanting control specifically, but I find that uh, tougher styles of parenting, more authoritarian, authoritative styles um, tend to be from a place of trying to shape a child to be who you want them to be for their best benefit. Mm -hmm. When the child is going to be who they're going to be, regardless, at the end of the day, they're going to have their own identity. And what is important is that your child can show up with their identity and know that you're accepting that and nurturing that and taking care of that. Because what I tend to find with parents who might want to be con more controlling or kind of have more say out of that place of fear, the child ends up how they're going to end up. And they really just put on a mask to come around you. And that's where part of the people pleasing comes from us. I found that this wasn't acceptable for mom or dad or, you know, whoever was around. And so I learned to shut that part of me down. Yes, I absolutely understand what what you're saying and it makes it makes perfect sense. So how can parents then kind of come together and 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 change that? 
Mm, I like that question too. What's the solution when we disagree? <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, that's the. I think that is the question. What is that solution? And I'm. And it's something that, again, I'm sure is situational. It is. I think you know, age and stage of the child is important because I think a lot of times we feel the need to. Well, we're parents. We're the parents who make the decision, and if we ask the child and go to the child and have them start to be more of a collaborative process, mm-hmm. they start to learn a voice. They may not always get their way, right? but they learn that they're heard and validated. And then they still learn that th- sometimes they will get their way and sometimes they won't. But I think that including the child when you can is just such a beautiful thing to do. And if you can't yet because they're nonverbal or, you know, yeah. or too young, um, there are other ways to kind of find common ground too. I love that because, you know, one of the things I try to say a lot is that kids just want to be seen and heard and feel safe. It doesn't mean you're going to let them run into the street because that's what they want to do at the time, right? But I think that we can, you know, if we kind of get down to their level and understand, you know, where where they're coming from and listening and letting them feel like, okay, this is valid. Um, Gabe and I were talking about that the other day. And, you know, in the old days, it was, you would say, everything's okay, or don't cry, you know, and and now the concept is, I love that word that you used, the collaborative, you know, is that, hey, you know what, this situation, whatever it is, is I get it. You know, I wouldn't be happy about it either. And it's okay to cry, but you still can't run into the street, you know? (laughs) So it's like really kind of empathizing, putting yourself in their position, but then also realizing that you don't have to give in to everything. Yes. Just to make them happy, right? Because that's what are we doing? We're people pleasing when we do that, even to our own child. Yes. And I'm going to out my partner here and my husband because he... He seemed, and it's amounting him because it's a common held belief that uh, validating and agreeing is this, are inherently kind of the same thing, but you can still be just as validating and disagree with somebody in like the same conversation. Yes. Yes. That's when somebody really feels like they have been listened to. I teach a workshop at Children's on communication. Now it's communication in healthcare, okay? But it I feel like a lot of these things we can use in our own lifestyle and that is, you know, what we call what we call pearls, but basically what it is is it's a way to empathize and it's just kind of it could be validation. It, it doesn't necessarily mean you, you could still disagree, but you're just saying, I hear you, you know, and I, I understand where you're coming from or anyone in your situation would feel that way. Let's go back a little bit to people pleasing and tell me more about the work that you do with others to kind of help them break free of that and, um, and feel good, feel good, you know, and knowing how, and feeling like they did a good job because I wonder too, if there's a relationship with people pleasing and perfectionism. That's interesting that you say that because I actually recently expanded and brought in another clinician who specializes in in perfectionism because I do find a lot of overlap there that is present. And, um, it is, uh, so essentially the work that I do is, 
I don't like band-aids. I want to get to the root of the issue so that there's holistic and true healing. And so I can't do the band-aid method. So knowing that the root of perfectionism and people pleasing is kind of from that place of I'm a burden, I'm not enough, that need to overcompensate. There's just so many similarities. Yeah, I would imagine because I know, you know, being a mom who also had a full-time job at the time uh, and just really felt like, gosh, I can't do anything right. You know, and when you're talking about people pleasing and how they just, even though they're, they're feeling like they're doing everything they can for everyone, they don't feel like they're doing a very good job. And that's when that guilt comes in too. I think, I think there's a lot of parents and maybe people that are even anticipating becoming a parent who, um, who feel that way. No, I, I absolutely agree with you. And, um, I think it makes, the thing about people pleasing is it's, it's really difficult to hear. And people, I had somebody actually pick up my card and kind of like laugh because they're like, oh, people pleasing, like that's a weird specialty. Um, and they meant nothing by it, but I think that's commonly what we, uh, people pleasers themselves tend to minimize their own problems and tend to think like, oh, I can just handle it myself. So they get on this little island of isolation and they tend not to find the healing because they're so busy taking care of everybody else. So it's just really cool to um, be the helper who helps helpers in a way. Yes, absolutely. Because I think that, you know, when people, when we, when we're trying to keep everybody, make everybody happy, which is impossible, right? We can't make everybody happy. I mean, I, I really wish I could. I know we all do. Like you said, even in parenting styles, we think what we're doing is in the best interest of our child. And and I would say even for ourselves, we think we're doing what's in the best interest of ourselves, our partner, et cetera. But when it really comes down to it, it somehow it always comes back that if you don't say no, if you don't set up those boundaries, if you're not, and then you realize that you're sacrificing your own happiness, then it, it always ultimately comes back somehow in a negative way. If that makes any sense. In other words, like we're trying to please everyone, but in, then we just end up not pleasing anyone, including ourselves. Yes. And it's heartbreaking when people, it's an illusion and it is a short-term relief for long-term pain, really. Um, and you could make quote unquote, everybody happy to some degree, but if you're doing that again, there's no happiness for yourself either, but it's, it's short-term like I said, short-term comfort as opposed to having short-term discomfort for long-term pain relief, if you will. Yeah. So we were talking a little bit about some of the do's. What would be some of the don'ts? I love some don'ts. <laughs> um, let me see here. Um, well, I would say as much as you can, don't go into parenting or your life in a place of fear if possible. And if that feels impossible for you to do. I just want to, to let you know, like that's not a healthy place to be. That mm -hmm. is not something that everybody is always living in. That's something that doesn't have to be somebody's reality. Um, and don't feel like caring for your child's emotional needs means you're coddling them or they won't be prepared. That is not the case. Um, caring for your child's emotional needs is actually going to help them foster healthy, connected future relationships. It's going to carry them through life way more than just being quote unquote polite or quote unquote nice will yeah. ever. Yeah. I, I, I hear what you're saying for sure. What are some other don'ts would you say? 
I'd say also don't repeat the same things that you heard growing up um, or and don't uh, don't teach them to avoid conflict. Don't have them have that same fear of seeing avoiding conflict as the easier route to go. Yeah. I often hear that don't rock the boat. I often hear, uh, well, just be the bigger person. And a lot of times it's just a way to kind of shut things down. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, we all say that, right? We always say don't rock the boat or, you know, um, it, and that gets back to kind of like walking on eggshells and mm-hmm. putting on that mask, depending on who you're, you're in dealing with and what relation you're, you're, you know, having, like we need to, I mean, I, I remember just, and, and I guess let, let me just say for a moment, you know, cause what's kind of going through my head is I think about my grandfather who was, um, you know, he was pretty strict and they, we had some don'ts in our house, you know, but they were more rules, so to speak. Like we couldn't run, we couldn't, you really didn't even talk around grandpa, you know what I mean? Unless you were talked to, et cetera. And for some reason that kind of walk, you know, came into my mind about how he was, but it didn't mean that he wasn't a loving person, you know? So I think there's a little bit difference about like limits, setting limits, but also, you know, making sure that we're teaching them to know the difference between what's kind of like a limit or safety or something versus what is people pleasing. Yes. And, you know, can, can I give you a good example of like a moment as you're talking about your grandfather, I'm thinking about a moment I had at the park. I was walking my cute little French bulldog in uh, a local park and I saw a mom who, as moms are, with three young children overwhelmed and understandably, I don't expect perfection for moms. This is just a moment of like learning for other people. There's no judgment, but one of her children races super excited, you know, forward. And I could see the wash of panic over her face. And so she has two kids in in her arms and she says, so-and-so you're, uh, I don't know if I can cuss. You're making me mad, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, fill in the blanks. Yeah. And I'm like, oh man, I know she was just scared in that moment. Yes. And it could have just been so I know there's a time for crisis and safety, but what we could do as parents is when we're starting to feel fearful or feeling overwhelmed is teach them what you're afraid of in that moment. And I wish she could have said, and maybe she will at some point say, you know, when you run for me, I feel really afraid that something's going to happen to you. And mm-hmm. I don't want anything to happen to you because I love you. Yeah. And I know no kid wants to be yelled at by their parents. It's going to happen. Um, but I think that's a perfect example of we're so quick to do the don't or like that immediate that there's room for resolution after if that does happen, that that emotional taking over. But I think it's important for essentially what your grandfather did. I think it's so important for kids to understand your frame of reference for why you're sharing things. Yes, like where, where it's actually coming from and disciplining to teach them really, not really punishing, but you're talking to them because you want to teach them. Like, so what I I love about what you said, you know, one way that she could have said some, how she could have just changed the language. A lot of times it really just comes down to communication, no matter who we're dealing with. And, um, and just, and, and taking that as a teaching moment versus a moment of fear. But I think sometimes we have to like take that deep breath because fear of course, just seems to take over. That's what I've mentioned is that fawn effect. Yes, 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 exactly. Um, 
my brain, I do have ADHD. I should have disclosed that at the very beginning of this. Okay. It's okay. Um, I think we can all relate. Yes. But my brain is going to uh, mistakes, yelling, all of that is bound to happen in a household. There's no sense in us beating ourselves up after or not being able to be human. Um, For fond responders, for people pleasers, they tend to feel like, or the fear is that conflict will weaken or break a relationship. Okay. And in reality, it's the opposite. Like it's not about perfection. It's about when mistakes happen or conflicts occurs, how do we go about resolving that in a way that makes people feel safe and secure in the relationship? Wow. Yeah, that is so true. It's so true. And I'm sure it takes time. I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're, we always want things to happen so quickly and to change and we want to make a change in ourselves or change in our partner or change in our children or everyone that is around us, but it, it doesn't happen overnight, I would imagine. No, it, it doesn't. And I, I think that there's not a rush. I think if every single day you can just focus on one moment of, of being better, that is a beautiful thing. Yeah. When, not better, but intentional. When you are working with families, what would you tell them? Like, do you, as an expectation, because I love the fact that, and I've used that bandage, you know, it's a bandaid, like, especially when it comes to, you know, when I'm talking to kids with anxiety, you know, we really need to get to the root cause. Like certainly I can recommend a medication, et cetera, to help them feel better or sleep better or a diet, et cetera. But it really, we're not going to get you know, the true change is going to come from the root cause. And so when you start to work with a family, what kind of expectations do you give them as far as like, this is, this is going to take some time, you know, but we're going to work together and, and really trying to pull the onion layers down so that we can really get to the root of what's going on as, a, as opposed to just putting a bandaid on it. And it's a great question in terms of time frame expectation. So I should share that I am an EMDR provider, which is a beautiful therapy. And so as I'm working with people, I would say, you know, signing up for, you know, I don't really want to put a label on how, how long it'll take, but what I can say, because I think this is super validating for a lot of my clients and people to hear is when we're talking about people pleasing in the fawn response, we're typically talking about complex PTSD as opposed to PTSD, which means it is it is way more nuanced and difficult, but possible. And if you have a specialist who knows how to do it, you can do it. But I, I say this that it's just a nuanced presentation that are the fawn response essentially comes from one million little moments of, which are the big moments of being invalidated, feeling like you're unimportant and all these messages that we get along the way that we have to heal all of these kind of neural pathways and beliefs and a whole worldview and perspective, as opposed to uh, like a single incident trauma or a one moment in time or a few moments in time. And so, you know, it's, it, Rome was not built in overnight and neither yeah. was that fawn response or the people pleasing. And so I'd say, you know, give yourself a good year in therapy. Yes. Um, to just, you deserve that time to be with somebody who's going to hear you, who's going to help and heal. And I, I want to share too, I, you know, when I was getting ready for our discussion, I went um, on your website, which I'd like to also let everybody know that on the in the um, show notes, 
I have how you can connect with Carly. Um, you know, certainly if you've heard something today that really resonates, um, I highly recommend that you reach out to her. But one of the things that you said in, in your, you know, from the website that I really loved, and I tell the teenagers this a lot, is that when they start therapy, it's, you know, it's going to take several times for first for you guys to just get to know each other, you know, but I loved what you specifically said is we're not just talking about sitting there with a clipboard. Like I I read that and I was like, oh my gosh, I say that all the time. So I love that, you know, because when we think about therapy, we're thinking about laying on the couch, you know, and somebody's sitting there with the clipboard. And so I, I love that, um, you know, you really put a personal, in your th- in in treating others, you really put a personal note. Like you, you understand that that no one again, and you quoted this: no one wants to show up with someone nodding along with a clipboard. We just want that human connection, and I love that. I really do. And um, and I hope that you'll keep doing that because I think that that is what's really important for anybody, whether you're a child, whether you're a parent, um, a family member, a partner, it's, it's just to have that personal connection and, um, and, and really sharing time together and letting them understand, Hey, you know, I'm a, I'm a human too. And, um, so I just want to thank you so much for joining me. I mean, we hit on so many different things and at so many different levels. So I hope you'll come back and we could talk more about this. Is there any any last words that you really feel like, gosh, I because sometimes even even myself, I think, oh, I wish we would have mentioned this. Is there any last things you want people that are listening right now to know? Great question. I feel like I could speak on so many things, uh, you know, about people pleasing, about healing, but I am going to leave you and them with this is don't be, do not live your life afraid to be seen. Being seen is just so important. And for people pleasers, it's just, it's scary because they've learned to protect themselves by flying under the radar. And so you can do this slowly and surely with people that you trust and just take little moments to be authentic and to be showing up and taking that risk. It will pay off. So go ahead and shine, take up space and show up as yourself. You're great. Wow. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me. You did great. And I really love our conversation. And I just want to remind everyone, like I said, if you want to get in touch with Carly, her information is in the show notes. Thank you again for joining me. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to another episode of Growing Up with Dr. Sarah. If you enjoyed this episode and think the information shared here today could benefit someone else, take a screenshot of the episode and post to your Instagram story. Make sure you tag us at Growing Up with Dr. Sarah so we can spread the word about the show and continue to grow in our mission to support as many parents and families as possible. Hey, if you're interested in being a guest on the show or would like to suggest a topic, please visit www.growingupwithdrsarah.com slash contact. Thanks again for spending time with us today. Stay tuned for a brand new episode next week as we continue to grow up together.